0: this one word that we're gonna talk about, it causes confusion, it causes fear, it causes stress. This one
1: word. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you, because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode.
0: You know, when a man gets it, everyone wins, and when dads, when you get it, it's so important. You know, we're sitting here, it's January. What's going on? Juneteenth. Today is June 19th. It is officially Juneteenth in your calendars. Today is Father's Day. Father's Day. This is a huge day for guys. This is a day where we celebrate you as men. If you are a man here today and you are an engaged father, thank you We honor you today. We honor you today in a month that doesn't want to honor men. We honor you. Today I want to talk about one word. It's not the word father, so don't, don't throw that out. I want to talk about one word today. It's a word that when men hear it, they get discombobulated. They get confused. In the church, we don't understand what this one word means. When women hear this one word, there's a real instant tension I sense when I even coming in today I had somebody ask me, "Well, you're not going to talk about this thing today, are you?" Well, this one word makes people nervous. In fact, I have some buddies of mine, they're big elk hunters, and a couple several years ago, they shot a big bull elk in the Northside unit in Eastern Oregon. And they shot this elk and as they shot this elk and processed this elk, a snowstorm hit. And it was a whiteout, no moon, snowstorm whiteout. So they've got the quarters of this elk out, they're packing this elk out, and they've got the old, this is before the phone deal, they've got the old school GPSs, and they're following this GPS, packing out 100 pounds on each shoulder, each, and they're packing it out, and they're walking forever. They can't find their truck. Walking, walking, the snow's getting, from, from snow that was just kind of dusting, deeper, deeper, hours, and they can't figure, they're not there. Pretty soon they come across tracks, they're like, oh, fake. Wait, what's going on? Who else would be out here in this snowstorm? What is going on? And they realized those are our tracks. And they've been walking in circles for hours. And when we talk to men about this one word, it's like they feel like they're walking in circles and they can never figure out where they're going. This one word, this one word that we're going to talk about, it causes confusion, it causes fear, it causes Stress this one word. You know, we've uh, in February, we started a gathering for men in McMinnville. We call it The Mag. And at the McMinnville area men's gathering, we just shut it down for the year. Had an amazing, it's, it's the largest gathering of men that's ever happened in Yamhill County on a weekly basis. It's been really, really cool. We're going through this series where we've taken 20 qualifications of a biblical elder. And we've taken those those those, uh, words, and they're kind of obscure words you would never use. A lot of them you don't use anymore, like temperate or prudent and all these words. We've taken the original Greek and turned them into one positive word describing one of 20 qualities of the full capacity man. And here are some of those words. Blameless, servant, witness, calm. Now, I don't do good on that one. Moderate, vigilant, peacemaker, protector hospitable, generous, good, devout, respected, sacrificial, teacher, faithful, just, gentle, wise and that one word that one word is part of the 20. And in the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 and Titus chapter 1 verse 6, Paul spends more time on that one word than any of the other 20 qualifications of the full-capacity man. And when I say man, I'm telling you this is a a direct address to men in this case because Paul says right after each of these uh, descriptions, the husband of one wife. So we know that Paul is addressing guys here. And he's addressing this one characteristic that guys, we get confused about. And so Paul spends more time on this one word than any other word in the Bible. So I want to pray this morning. We're going to address this one word. Father, this morning, you've heard the hearts of mothers crying out for their children. You've heard the hearts of fathers crying out for their children. You've heard the hearts of your children crying out for their God, you. And today, God, I pray that you would help us as men as we navigate through this crazy thing called fatherhood, God. Some of us are fathering adult children and grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. Some of us have yet to have children, and yet here we are, God. Help us to understand what it means to be a father, what it means to be the man you've called us to be. So God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that only what you want heard will be spoken. I pray that only what you do in the hearts of men and women today would be remembered and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to combine two passages this morning. I've never done this before. I'm going to combine First Timothy chapter three, verses four and five, and Titus, chapter one, verse six. So if you've got really fast fingers, you can switch around. If you've got your digital phone Bible, you're going to be in trouble this morning. Just temporarily, we'll get back to it. First Timothy chapter three, verse four and five. He, must, he, discuss, he, fathers, must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to handle or manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? Titus 1.6, having children who believe. That one word, guys, is leader. Leader. God has asked you men to be the Leader. And that's a tough one to swallow a lot of times. And in the church, I find myself explaining that to the ladies, especially. Because we, we, wanna ha- we don't understand sometimes in the society we live in, but every, in every venue that you live in, there's always a leader. The buck's got to stop somewhere. Somewhere, there has to be the tip of the spear. And the Bible says, guy, dad, it's you. Now, people say to me, well, what are you, some kind of misogynist? Are you a woman hater? Obviously, you have not met my wife. I believe the stronger the woman, the stronger the man. I am a huge fan of women. In fact, I have fought for the last 32 years. I've stood side by side with some of the, most strong, the strongest, most powerful women you can imagine. I think of women like Carla Morris, Betty Novak, Kathy Heitzenrater, Kathy Togsted, Carrie Palmer, Caitlin Gibson, on and on and on, strong women who I've ministered to side by side. Here's my response to women. You do what God has told you to do. Whatever that is, I am not going to stand in the way between you and God. You do what God has told you to do. I am talking to men this morning. I am talking to dads this morning. I've told this story before, and I just love this story. Forgive me if I've told it too many times, but story of George and Barbara Bush. He's the President of the United States of America. He's driving across West Texas to his home. He's got his colonnade of people, his uh, secret security people driving with him. He has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, he has to make a pit stop. So they pull into this obscure gas station in nowhere, Texas, and he goes into the bathroom. And when he comes out, he's got his security guards all around him. When he comes out, Barbara, his wife, everybody loved Barbara Bush, right? She's in this very lively conversation with a gas station attendant. President Bush says, what are you talking to the gas station attendant for? She says, you know, it's a funny thing, George. He was my high school sweetheart. I can't believe I ran into my high school sweetheart. And George Bush starts laughing. She's like, what are you laughing for? He said, I'm the most powerful man in the world. And my wife dated a gas station attendant. And she said, oh, George, 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 George. If I would have married him, he'd be the president of the United States. (laughs) Now, when I talk about men being the leader, men being the head, women, you know who the neck is. You use your power. Use your power. I mean, I I am all about, listen, guys, listen. God constantly elevates women to high positions in leadership. In Judges 4.4, we read about Deborah, the prophet of God, who judged Israel. In Acts 16.14, we read about Prominent leader and businesswoman named Lydia who had church in her home. In Romans 16.1, Paul mentions Phoebe who was a deacon in her church. In Romans 16.7, we read about a woman named Junia who was number, who was powerful among the apostles. I know where you got your name. And then in Romans 16.7, we read about, we, in, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy 4.19, we read about Priscilla who's mentioned ahead of her husband, Aquila, five out of six times signifying her lead role in ministry, I believe that she also is the anonymous author of the book of Hebrews, my own personal opinion. God constantly uses women, but today's not about the ladies. Today is about us guys. Today is Father's Day. Let's look at this one word. This is, this, to me, this is so freeing. I, I just did this with our guys at the MAG, and I, I was like, I did not realize this because... Nobody had ever explained to me what it means to be a leader. We always tell the men, you're supposed to be the leader in your household. But we never tell the men what a leader looks like. What does a leader do? Well, it's right here. This is, your, this is so cool. Look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. It says, he must be one who manages his household well. So this father leader is a guy who apparently manages his household well. What does that look like? What's really interesting, when you look at the Bible, I'm going to talk to you about three things this morning. Two of the three are not spiritual. They're not spiritual at all. I could be speaking to any group, and the guys would be like, oh, that. thank you for that. That really helped me. Watch this. And this is, I think, where guys in the church get confused because leadership in the home is not as spiritual as you may think. Gosh, the looks I'm getting right now, it's so funny. The women are kind of like, I don't know if I like you. I'm not sure. The men are like, I really don't like you. But listen to this. And I don't wanna, I'm not sounding like I'm a pagan or something. I believe in Jesus. But sometimes we over-spiritualize things that God is calling us to do. He manages his household well. So the word for manages that Paul uses is the Greek word prostomai. Prostomai. And this word is the coolest word. Check this out. This word means three things in the Greek. Now watch this. It blows me away. It means to protect. In other words, a man is a wall for his family. He protects his family. The second thing is this word not only means protect, but it means to preside over. So he provides a wall for those he loves and he provides a covering in him and through him, his family is covered. He provides for them. In other words, not only does it provide, not only does he protect with a wall, not only does he oversee or act as a, a, a presider, but he is also a provider. In other words, each one of his individual children and his bride, they have their own room in the house of his heart. And he, according to how God made them, he knows how to love and nurture them. All of our kids are different. Right, Wade? Right, Jim? Right, Andy? And we have to learn how to love them in that way. Here, interesting thing, you guys, two weeks ago I stood in front of church and I said, hey, we posted a video on social media and a million people watched it. And I'm, I'm telling you that was an incorrect, I'm, I was wrong. It's 1.8 million so almost 2 million people watched a video. And what was this dumb video? I'm in a camouflage vest. I'm huffing and puffing. I'm hiking. It was the most poorly produced video that you've ever seen in your life. It's kind of embarrassing. My double chin was shown because of the angle of the camera. You know, but, but why did almost 2 million people watch it? The topic was the man, the provider. And here's what was important, is that you provide more than a physical wall and a physical roof and physical rooms. You need to, as men, as fathers, we provide intangibles where we guard and protect the hearts of those we love. We nurture and, and, and give unconditional love to those who are in need. You heard a mama's heart up here this morning. This is what we're talking about. Knowing the hearts of our individual. See, our kids don't care and our wives don't care, men, about the tangible things you provide. I know you think they do, but they don't. They need you to provide the intangibles, unapologetic love and acceptance and affirmation. They need you to be the prostomai, the wall, the roof, the rooms over their heart. That's why 2 million people watch the stupid video. Because they were like, wow, I've never heard this truth before. You know, U.S. Census Bureau just came out. 2020 U.S. Census Bureau just came out. In 2000, 48% of all parents lived with their under 18-year-old children. In 2010, that number had dropped to 44%. In 2020, that number had dropped to 40%. We're losing our men. We're losing our dads. We're losing the ability to prostimize. Because when a man is not there, it matters. It matters. That he protects the heart and spirit of those in his household. That he presides over the souls and the faith of those he loves. That he provides unconditional love and acceptance and value. We cannot be deceived into thinking that all we need to do is provide the tangibles. The tangibles really don't matter. Those you love want the intangibles. Verse 4 continues. And it says this, accepting his children, underline the word children, that's a really important word here, and under control with all dignity, and then a parenthetical statement Paul throws in, but if a man does not know how to manage his, again, manage, prostami, it's that word again, his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So here's the second unspiritual thing that leaders do. The first unspiritual thing is he's a prostami, he's a manager, right? Protects, provides, and presides. The second unspiritual thing he does, it almost doesn't feel like church, does it? The second unspiritual thing he does is he keeps his children under control with all dignity. Now, this is really important here because you may be, I know a lot of us are out there going, oh, man, I've got my 40-year-old kid. Wow, that kid. Whoa. My 60-year-old kid. Man, well, man. I'm in trouble. I've got a 70-year-old kid who's just not living the way he should be living, right? The word that is used here for children is very important. It's the Greek word technon. Now, in in the original languages here, there are four words used for children. There's nepios, which is an infant, which would be like a a baby that is totally dependent upon its mother, nepios, an infant. The second word is uh, paideon, which is where I think George Lucas got the word Padawan learner. Jedi, you Star Wars junkies. Anyway, so a Paidean is a child who is like a toddler to a preteen who's dependent upon its par- his or her parent, but, but not for the, the primary needs of survival, right? This child can feed itself, they can get its own chicken nuggets and that type of thing, but it's a toddler. Then you have the Technon, which would be a teenager, be a, a child who's fully formed physically, yet... In all other areas, you know how they're immature, right? You guys follow me? Have teenagers? Hello. The last word will be a huios, which is a fully formed adult child. It's that child who's fully formed, fully functioning, who is out there doing their thing, and you interact with them adult to adult. I called my, you know, I took my dad on a hunting trip for his 80th birthday, God bless you, and he, and uh and I, we were faced, it was kind of almost like me, I'm the father now, and he's like, you know what I mean? But it, I'm a weos to him. The word Paul uses here is technon. That while our children are under our care, they are under our authority and our responsibility. According to the Bible, guys, as a leader, while your children are in your home, that means two things that means your adult child who has decided strategically to come and come under your authority. If you have an adult child living with you under your roof, that child is under your authority and your household, and you are the leader of that child, even though that child may be 30 years old. Also is about a teenager or a preteen who's living in your household. So Frederick Douglass said something very powerful. He said, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And that's what we're talking about. While they are under our home, they are under our responsibility. We moved to Oregon in 2003. It was brutal. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was was brutal. And about three months after we got up here, I got called into the principal's office. Well, it was my pastor. It was my boss. He said, hey, your youngest son, Colton? Yeah? Colton's a great kid. I mean, this kid's a great kid. He is saying mean things to Sunday school teachers. What Colton is? Yeah. And you need to get a hold of it. I go, yeah. And then my pastor, my boss, said something I'll never forget. He said, let me tell you something, Jim. I will never fire you for what your children do. I will fire you for how you handle it. And see, that was wisdom. What he was saying is that that kid, while that kid is under your roof, that kid is your responsibility. And as a father... It's our responsibility to parent our... And our children, they all have many needs, right? But it's, we, we are still over them when they're in our household. My kids all moved back home after college. I said, you can come back home and raise, save money. And when they came under my household, we had certain rules, and they realized they had to comply with them. So the last thing I want to share is really the ultimate thing. The first two things I think anybody could do, right? Manage our household well... Um, have children that are dignified and that honor us. But this last one gets real spiritual, and this is where it hurts a little. This is where I think we need to really take some ownership, guys. Ultimately, this is what matters most. In Titus 1.6, Paul writes, having children, the word is technon, having children, technon, having technons who believe. The father leader has children who believe. He strategically He strategically works with his wife to bring his kids into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've told my kids, I bet I've told my kids a hundred times, I don't care if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's when you're 60. I don't care if you're a rocket scientist. I don't care if you're the President of the United States. I don't care what you do in your career. It's all about loving Jesus. If you love Jesus, it'll change your life. My wife and I, I was, I've been a pastor for 32 years in ministry. So when you have kids in ministry, you've got to kind of, we thought, we need to be creative about how we bring our kids to Jesus and this type of thing. So what we did is when they turned five and a half, I have very intelligent sons, very articulate sons. At five and a half, we took them to Denny's, the oldest two to Denny's in California. They still to this day know they ordered smiley face pancakes. We pulled out a napkin. I drew out the plan of salvation. Shanna and I led them both to the Lord. Colton, because Oregon really doesn't have a Denny's close by, we did it to him and Sherry's. No, we were in Sun River at the Sun River Lodge, in Sun River when he was five and a half. At 12 and a half, Colton goes, I really don't remember that. Can you lead me to the Lord again? We go, Sure. <laughs> We're Wesleyan, so we can lead him to the Lord a million times. So, so we took him to Sherry's in McMinnville, drew the plan of salvation, led him to Jesus. And then when the kids became teenagers, we baptized them. We baptized James at McKenna Beach on the island of Maui in 2005. We baptized Darby. He's the middle child. He didn't get the special treatment because he's the middle child. We just baptized him in Shasta Lake after he learned how to wakeboard. And then Colton, we baptized him in Belize at Key Cocker, on the island of Key Cocker in 2012 with my youth group. And so we want to make it very special for them because... Every, and we did it on their half birthdays. So every six months we can celebrate their salvation. So that's what we did strategically. Now our kids aren't perfect, but we did that strategically because we want them to remember the day they gave their lives to Jesus and the day they were baptized. And that guys, that's our role as fathers. Our role as fathers is to be very strategic in the lives of our children and in the lives of our children. And here's why, and, and I hope that you heard this this morning. Here's why. Whether we have children who are CEOs of companies, whether we have children who are struggling in their 20s, whether we have children who are in their teen years, where we have little children here who are future apostles, whatever we have, guys, I got to tell you, the stakes couldn't be Higher. Forever is at stake. It's so serious. It's so serious. Forever, guys, forever is at stake with our kids and with their kids. You know, it's a really interesting uh, tradition, and we see this in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, when kings would come and conquer a country, they would go into the former king's palace and kill all of his offspring. In fact, we see this in the Bible. In 1 Kings 15, verse 28, it says, So Basha killed Nadab in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. It came about as soon as he was king that he struck down all the household of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam any persons alive until he had destroyed them. It reminds me of John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to wipe your name out of the book of life. He wants your name to be the last name ever in heaven, and that your children will not follow you there. It's so serious. It's so serious. The stakes are so high, guys. And as fathers, we have to realize how high the stakes are and that God has called us. He's called us to manage our household, to provide for each individual within our household, to protect and be that wall, to preside over and be that ceiling. He's called us to these things. These things are vitally important because forever is at stake. I was sitting over here listening to the sharing this morning, and I want to do something completely different. I feel like God is really leading me to do this. So I'm going to call the band back up. I'm going to ask them to play the last song they just played. It's a cry to God to heal our land. And I want to ask you, I'm going to do something maybe, I don't know, this is different, but I think it's going to be fun for us. If you have a child right now, mom or dad, that's on your heart right now, you're, you're just, you have a child that's on your heart, maybe a grandchild, we're going to sing this song. I'm going to ask you to make it your prayer. And then during this song, I'm going to ask you to come this morning, and I want you to take communion. I want you to remember Jesus Christ and the promise that he offers for you and your household. And I want you to take communion. I want you to reflect and pray for that child that is hurting Maybe there's a a relationship that needs to be restored. Maybe they've run far from Jesus. Maybe they're just struggling with life. But just come this morning to honor God and to trust God in a time that may not be easy to trust Him and just say, God, I'm going to give my kid to you and ask you to do something because you are the God of the universe. Will you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you. You've given the men in this room a special place, God to carry that one word, that mantle of leadership. And God, that's a hard mantle it brings a lot of burden with it. I thank you for our moms who helped carry that mantle with our with our dads this morning. And God I know that we have a lot of hurting parents, parents fighting to trust you in the midst of the storm parents who are asking you to heal the land and so God this morning as we take communion as we turn our trust to you as we return our children to you we say God come and bring healing you are God our healer